0: Hello, and welcome to Disability Decoded. As ever, I am Nadine, your host. In this episode, I am going to take us through a history of disabled rights, starting with around World War I, as we were just in November. According to various sources, one including Abilities United, over 16% of Americans are considered to have a disability. In the UK, it is 22% to nearly one quarter of the total population. And the world, it's about 10%. And despite being in a clear minority, this is the group that doesn't care about who joins it, and nowhere can call itself fair or even civilised if it doesn't protect the rights of all who live there. Such a stereotype exists that disability equates to weakness. Watch any period drama with a disabled character. Downton Abbey or Broadwalk Empire, for instance and they fear absolute poverty, a fear I know so many still have. And in that day and age, that was tantamount to a death sentence. It also didn't help that President of the United States, Franklin D. Roosevelt, contracted polio and was subsequently disabled from it, but went to great lengths to conceal that fact. I understand why he'd do such a thing, but that doesn't mean I agree with it. As a leader of the most powerful nation, he could have worked to break down those stereotypes, but didn't. Was it fear of being ousted? Did he think himself weak and worked hard to prevent that from being seen? Though, of course, he did work in creating a non-profit, now known as March of Dimes, which helped create the polio vaccine and thus eliminating the disease in the United States. Of course, in the early 20th century, This is what life was like, and that's what they were taught. Had only there been a throwing down of the status quo, we may be in a very different place when we think of those who are disabled. Many veterans returning from war did not get the help they needed. They may have survived combat, but could they survive going back home? Of course, widows got a pension in the UK following the beginning of World War I, and in the United States, from 1792 veterans had a pension scheme that was only updated over 100 years later for the aforementioned war, despite the fact that other wars came and went during that time. Of course, military personnel have usually been held in high regard, in the United States especially, but that fact was confusing to me. I understand that World War I was the first fully mechanical war, and was something that terrified everyone at the time and now, But to not update those benefit systems shows that despite being lauded as a war hero, you are still disabled, so are still lesser than those who are not. Even when you look at how this was managed, it is tiring. Three different federal government agencies were created to manage this, and these were the Veterans Bureau, Bureau of Pensions, National Home for Disabled Volunteer Soldiers, this rather inefficient and confusing arrangement soon proved too bothersome to effectively administer. or well, at least it existed. And in 1930, the Veterans Administration, or the VA as it is still known, was created. However, as it stands, I don't really see the monthly payment from the VA as particularly helpful. From the 1st of December, 2022... The rate for an unmarried veteran with no dependents with a disability percentage of, let's start with 50%, your earnings would be $1,041.82. My rent's more than that. And then if you receive disability benefits for being unable to work, then you better not go have it with your beloved who works, as that will see that deduct. That's not really what I expect the rate of those who serve their country to be. It's really disheartening to see. In the United Kingdom, you'd better not think of your heartbroken spouse if you are killed in action, let alone being wounded and disabled and being given a blighty to get back home. You'd find a very confusing array of charts on the gov.uk website. But from what I found, I can gather you can get a small lump sum of 9000 £513 if you lose your big toe, which is only considered a minor injury. The weekly benefits actually brought me close to tears. It doesn't seem anyone is actually that thankful for their service at all. And this is without mentioning those who become mentally disabled from seeing what many of us cannot possibly imagine Seeking help for the benefit of our mental health is so heavily stigmatised already, I can't really imagine that help today would be much different to those who were shot for so-called cowardice. shock was something that confused everyone at the time, what is now classified as PTSD, and was actually banned as a diagnosis in 1917 by the British Army, with mentions of it being censored even in medical journals. Searching to see if those suffering from mental illnesses acquired during combat is difficult. I'm unsure if they are in receipt of benefits. This is all very disheartening, I know, but without the efforts made by those, not only who implemented benefit systems, but organisations such as the Red Cross, citing civilians had a duty to help disabled veterans, we would be much further behind with the rights of all those who are disabled. The treatments largely failed. And many were housed poorly, but without their steadfast complaints, where would we be? I will remember you. November isn't just a month I know to be about remembrance for those who serve for their country, but it is also, typically, when elections take place in the United States, so we will also look at the suffrage disabled persons still face at the polls. As I am an immigrant, and not domiciled in the UK, I can vote by post whenever there is an election, and it's rarely a bother. No one mentions it. In the United States, postal votes are often viewed by many as fraudulent and with suspicion. For example, in Nevada, as long as the letter containing the ballot is stamped by election day, it must be counted. So this is why it always seems like it's at last to call its election, Typically those who are disabled and or chronically ill are considered eligible to cast an absentee vote but this doesn't come without its issues. To preface, this next section of today's episode will unlikely please those who vote Tory or Republican and if we cannot speak after with civility then I suggest you switch off and I hope you have a pleasant day. In 2020, over 11 percent of voters with disabilities reported they faced some type of difficulty casting a ballot, more than any other group, and despite expanded access to mail-in voting due to the pandemic. But instead of embracing the more accessible forms of voting that sparked record turnout, including among voters with disabilities, states have doubled down on new restrictive voter suppression laws. In 2021, more than 400 anti-voting measures were introduced in states across the country, which affects those who are disabled the most, along with people of colour. These include restricting access to absentee voting, eliminating election day registration, making it more difficult to vote early, and also criminalising the act of assisting voters with disabilities to vote, a direct affront to the Voting Rights Act of 1965 and it's no surprise to see where these laws have been enacted. I'm looking at you, Georgia, and you, Texas. So much for the land of the free. I understand some of these may cause us to debate heavily with one another, but I assure you there is a way to make voting accessible for all. I understand that photo IDs are important, and for all can and does albeit rarely, happen. Not all people have photo IDs, however, and if you can get on a plane, either with an expired ID or just your credit card, as a friend of my boyfriend did, then there are ways to prove your identity and vote as you should be entitled. What's more dangerous? Many people registering to vote on election day with their birth certificates, debit cards, letters from the taxman, or bills, or, or one person... Getting on a plane with just their credit card, when their intentions could be anything, and they could be anyone. I personally don't care about your political leanings, but I do care about suppressing the voices of those who need to be heard. And that is not democracy. It is not freedom to have inaccessible polling stations. It is not greatness when machines are hard to use. And dear old land of not much hope and little glory can't even make party manifestos they constantly shove through your letterbox easy for all to understand or even give those who are disabled much choice on who to bring with them to assist them at the polls. I also walked past a few polling stations in Brooklyn on election day of the midterms a few weeks ago. And, according to the Voting Accessibility for the Elderly and Handicapped Act of 1984, it requires accessible polling places in federal elections for elderly individuals and people with disabilities. When no accessible location is available to serve as a polling place, voters must be provided an alternate means of voting on Election Day. Which would be a little bit difficult in Texas if you've already had your absentee ballot application restricted. You cannot call your elections democratic if not all who vote can. Now, what did you think about all I just said? You can contact me on my Instagram to discuss what we've talked about. And for now, have a pleasant one.